a topic leading like Jesus, leading like Jesus, parenting like Jesus. And let me just give us um, a recap of uh, where we are today. We began looking at the, the four domains of leadership, particularly leading our families, and that is parenting as fathers and as mothers, as grandfathers. We looked at the four domains. The first one is the heart, the heart, the heart. And the heart is or deals with our intentions and our motivations of the leader. What are our intentions? What are our motivations? Are we edging God out or are we exalting God only as we parent, as we exercise leadership? in our homes as parents. And we looked at the head, the head. The head deals with the beliefs about leadership and about influencing. And we had defined leadership as a process of influencing others. Anytime we influence the behavior or the development of another person, we are, we are exercising leadership. And so leadership is not just being a chief executive of the company, Anytime you are influencing the behavior or the development of another person, you are exercising leadership. So leadership is an influencing process. And so the head deals with having the right purpose in parenting. What is our purpose as believers? Our purpose is to glorify God, to reveal God to our children, to reveal God to those uh, on whom God has given us the grace to exercise authority or leadership or to influence them. The last week we looked at the hand, the hand. The hand deals with the methods and behaviors of the leader. Methods and behaviors of the leader. In other words, taking what is in our heart and our head and converting, converting it into behavior or actions. Um, that we practicalize as we lead our families. Um, it involves coaching. We need to model, we need to model uh, Christ's style of leadership, and that is to serve, because to lead is to serve, and to serve is to love. To lead is to serve, and to serve is to love. So it is coaching. What do you want your children to remember? when they hear that word father and mother. Because we are the absolute, we are in absolute control of what they are going to remember as they hear that word father and mother. What do you want them to remember? And that will be as a result of your actions, your behaviors uh, towards them as they are growing up, as they were growing up. And the fourth which we are going to consider today is the habit, habits. Habits deals with the daily disciplines, daily disciplines, moment by moment disciplines uh, that keeps us focused on leading like Christ. Daily disciplines that keeps us focused on leading like, like Christ. So we are going to watch a short uh, video clip and then thereafter we'll have our usual dis discussions, comments or questions. Please, thank you. When I say the word habit, what do you think of? Something bad or something good? Habits aren't always something we need to kick. Sometimes there's something we need to pick up and the sooner the better. Jesus was a leader committed to serve no matter how many pressures, trials and temptations he faced. So how did he replenish his energy and his servant perspective? through his habits. Your habits help you stay committed as a parent to serve rather than be served. In this session, I highlight some key habits Jesus practiced to stay on track with his mission and show how they can help you as a parent. Next, Tricia explains why it's so important for parents to develop habits like spending time in solitude, prayer, and relying on the word of God. Phil wraps up by sharing what might be the greatest of all parenting habits, forgiveness and grace. 
The overarching habit that I think helps us really stay on course is to stay connected with the Father. I mean, Jesus constantly was communicating uh, with his Father. And when you stay connected to the Lord, you also stay connected to that unconditional love that he gives us. And we've already talked it as if you trust the unconditional love of the Father, then you don't have to be your performance plus the opinion of others. And a lot of people will say to me as parents, you know, well, give me an example. You know, I mean, unconditional love, that's a really big deal. And I can understand it from God's standpoint, but what about me? And I'll say to them, let me just ask you, do you love your kids? And of course, they say, oh, yeah, I love my kids. Now, do you only love your kids if they're successful, if they're good athletes, if they're good students, and they look at you? Oh, of course not. I said, well, you just define unconditional love. You love your kids no matter what. And what's so interesting is we were doing Margie and I a session a while back for couples, you know, on, on marriage. And uh, one of the people were saying uh, there that, you know, we really know how to unconditionally love because we have kids. Have you ever heard parents say to a kid, this just isn't working out? You know, I mean, we're going to get rid of the kid, you know. So what if you took that unconditional love that you have for your kids and put it on your spouse, on your important relationship like that? And so uh, staying connected to the Father models what we really need to do in our daily life if we're going to, you know, lead our families like Jesus. And, and so all the other habits to me kind of reinforce staying connected to the Father and that unconditional love. You know, and I know it's important to you, Trisha, about prayer and solitude and, and other kinds of habits. Absolutely. You know, we are good as moms as getting our kids time out. You know, time out, three minutes in the chair. But as moms, we really need to take time out. We need to get away with God. And that solitude is so hard to do, but it's so important. You know, Psalm 46... 10 says, be still and know that I am God. Another version of that says, cease striving and know that I am God. And that's what I feel like all day long. I'm striving to get the dishes done. I'm striving to get the laundry done. I'm striving and chasing these kids. Cease doing that even for a little while. And sometimes it means, you know, during nap time, I'm just with my Bible or just praying before God. Sometimes when I'm cooking dinner, I have my Bible open before me or when I'm blow drying my hair. Even if there's a lot going on around me, taking that time for God. I found another really good time is when I'm folding laundry. No one wants to come and help me fold laundry. So they're off playing, so that's really a time of solitude for me. So when I pull out their clothes, and we have eight people living in our home, so there's, you could put a two-year-old sock and my 83-year-old grandma's shirt, you know, in the same load. And when I'm folding the shirt, saying, you know, God, Put on your, your um, breastplate of righteousness on this person or the little socks. May, may this child grow up and follow you and have steps of, of living a godly life. Or this, the pants, you know, may they stand strong for you. And that really is just a practical way that moms can do that because we're not going to have, you know, when I had my older kids before we adopted the little ones, I had an hour in the morning of, of really reading and praying, but sometimes that's just not possible. But just fitting that in, those moments of prayer and solitude, and that just adjusts our hearts and connects us for our whole lives. And those little prayers, you know, when they're two and three, really make a difference. I know even uh, when my oldest son was two and three, I'd be praying for his future spouse. And then he met and married this wonderful young woman. And on her wedding day, I was able to, you know, grab her shoulders and look her in the eye and say, Katie, I've been praying for you since, you know, Corey was two years old and she was just an infant. And just knows those prayers make a difference to God. And then it gives us peace, too. And then we can have the grace and the forgiveness I know that you talk about. Yeah, it's, uh, it's quite a wonderful ability that God has given us the access to him to be him to the people that he puts in our sphere of influence. The habits that strengthen me for my parenthood and my, my journey as a parent is we pray together. That's one of our big things. Meditation. Um, I try to live a very healthy life um, as far as what we eat, the things we watch. We don't have television. I've been doing that for about seven years. If I'm going through something and I'm driving in the car and uh, a Christian song comes on and it touches my heart, I'll cry. 
and I'll lift my hands up and I'll praise them wherever I'm at. If I'm moved by the Holy Spirit, I try to show them. And that's kind of therapeutic for me, a kind of a habit for me to make me a better parent. One thing that we've started doing every morning is a family hug. And it's just a way to tell each other we love each other and we don't always use words. Sometimes we say a prayer together, but before we all leave for our day, we gather together and we love and hug on each other. One of the paragraphs touched on the habit of, uh, of well, really a father's blessing, whispering encouragement into your kids. So I've, I've put that in, that every day I'm trying to whisper encouragement and love into Hudson's ears more than I ever have before. And uh, it's empowered my heart to love him more and I know he's picking it up. One thing that you were mentioning, Ken, about you know staying connected to the vine, and how do we get there? How do what are the ways that we do that? Well, that silent time. I know with me, my big problem is if I don't do it first, then I'm probably not going to do it well. And Siren Kierkegaard said, if you don't first seek the kingdom of God, you'll never seek it. So my big challenge in the morning is when I wake up is to grab not a commentary, but grab the Bible. And even if it's only just to grab a verse that said, this is where the truth starts and begin the day with that, then a lot of the other things kind of fall into place. But I love the phrase you use to describe the Bible. What do you say it is? Well, that's the love letter. That's God's, you know, staying in connection with the uh, unconditional love of God. How does he let us do that? Well, through a prayer, an interactive relationship in prayer, but also read the love letter. Read not only what he says to you, but the promises that have been fulfilled and the promises he has for us. And uh, it's not sentimental because he put himself all the way to here to show it was true. Um, the thing that we were talking a little bit about was the idea of some of the elements of leading like Jesus, which, is, which are almost uniquely to him. And one of them is the whole issue of forgiveness. Um, we can't give what we don't have. And if we don't have a sense of a free relationship with God that's not um, barriered by uh, guilt or so forth, we need the forgiveness of God to give the forgiveness to our kids. Let's face it. We screw up as parents. Our kids are going to screw up. We're all a work in progress on something. So we need an element to be able to allow this. And the bridge of, uh, of relationship is forgiveness. And when do we give that? I remember a time, uh, and this wasn't just with kids. This was me as a child uh, with my dad. Um, he, we had a good relationship um, most of his life. There was one time that he did something that really hurt me. And uh, I was going to, you know, I was going to blast him on it, which I never did. I never spoke ill to my dad, but I was really angry and hurt by this. And I have some good brothers I've been meeting with for 20 years. And I brought that to the table, which is another thing you need as a habit, is some safe harbor people. And my big brother, uh, Virgil, just said, you got to forgive him. you got to forgive him. You'll never get past this moment unless you do. And I did. And I was able to get past that with my dad. Didn't break the relationship. Um, he passed away several years later, but I was always so happy that we were never got into the point where I was not able to have that relationship with him because we didn't get into forgiveness. And the other thing that, that has really come as, as an important part of what God has given to us to pass on to our kids is grace. Now, I've written a couple of things. How do you keep grace amazing? You know, is one thing. And what does it really mean? It's just not the thing you say at the table. And we had a wonderful man that uh, we met a while back, uh, Father uh, Fox, who talked about grace in three ways, and we give grace. And this is really important for parents to kids. First is the grace of presence. And that's really being in the moment with the kids, especially little kids, because they live in the moment. And that opportunity to make that moment different is going to pass because they're on to the next thing. So really being in the moment, and that's for dads in particular, not just being physically there, but really being there. 
If you're not ready to be in the moment, stay in the car and drive. <laughs> good idea. Good, that's a good. Until you're ready to be in the moment, that's excellent because you don't want to walk into the moment as a ticking time bomb. And I know as a dad coming away from the office, I was just ready for the next. I don't know who was going to touch the wrong place, but I was not ready to get in the moment. And we really need to decompress before we do that. But that was the first part. The second one was a grace of acceptance. And that was that you and I are both probably imperfect in some way, but there's something we can reach together. You know, you can't do everything that I'd like you to do, and I can't tell you everything that you'll understand, but acceptance of who we are in that moment. And then I'm the glad third. you were talking to Trisha. She seemed to pass by me because well, I'm perfect, right? Yes, well, but no, you're forgiven. That's what you are. <laughs> and then the third, the third part of it is really the grace of community. And that means we can make this moment into something special if we don't get detracted by nitpicking a mistake, not praising progress and so forth. And it's out of that grace that God gives us that we'll have something to give to our kids. I think forgiveness from God has definitely helped me to forgive the kids. I think it goes back to uh, that eternal perspective thing. Um, how can how can I expect to be forgiven if I can't forgive? You know, sometimes we, uh, as adults, our active brain mature. You know, we we expect our children to be just as mature. So. I oftentimes find myself apologizing for that. Uh, I fall victim to that a lot, thinking my children are automatically supposed to know what to do. So, God has really been dealing with me about forgiveness, forgiving people in the past that hurt, hurt me, forgiving myself for the mistakes that I've made in life. And I have just really noticed how that has impacted my relationship with my son. I can forgive him quickly and uh, and not take it so seriously, you know? We had the same expectations of our parents when we did things wrong or did things that they weren't necessarily proud of. And so, again, knowing whose we are and what it means for us to forgive, we're required to forgive, you know? And we're forgiven on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, on you know, every second, you know, for, for the things that we've done wrong. So who are we to say that we can't forgive our children for what they've done wrong? You were talking about staying in the moment with your young ones. I mean, right. that's... And, and even the humility of being able to say, you talk about forgiveness, apologizing to those little ones. When I react or I'm upset about something, you know, being able to get on my knees and getting down at their level and taking their little, you know, face and say, I am so sorry that mommy acted that way. And it takes humility, even in front of those little ones or in front of our spouse. It's like, okay, God, I know I was wrong. Let me go and make this right again. But that's what it's all about. It's about humbling ourselves. I had that experience recently, you know, Alec is my seven-year-old grandson. He's just a delight, but sometimes he can really bug you. And so he did, and man, I let him have it. And I'm walking away, and I go, you're supposed to be the one minute man. That was really good. So I turned around, I went back, I got on my knees, and I said, Alec, you know, we can talk about what you did later, but Grampy was a big jerk, you know, yelling at you and all. I said, would you forgive me? And he says, you're forgiving, Gramps. Yeah, they're so quick to, for those little ones. They're so quick, and they just give you a big sloppy kiss right there, and it's like it's done. Yeah. They don't they don't carry it along. They don't think about the future. They're in the moment with you know the forgiveness too. Yeah, one thing is we give grace and forgiveness pretty quickly. It allows our kids to be able to fail and be willing to report it, because if they're afraid of the response, they're not going to be able to come to us when we can really have a chance to heal. And they'll end up trying to hide things, and then they end up doing that, as we all do, as a lifestyle. And uh, so, you know, the, the business of forgiveness, and as you know, Ken's mentioned several times, the one place where ego really starts to get into us is when we fail to forgive ourselves. Because we really blew something in our own self-image, and we need to be able to say no, that was me in that moment. It was not the right me, but that was me in the moment. I got to forgive myself and then be able to forgive others as well. Right, and that goes back to, you know, as a mom taking those two minutes 
and just stepping away and asking God to forgive me and being able to accept that forgiveness and then stepping out mm -hmm. in that grace for the next half of the day. Because <laughs> the half of the day is going to come whether or not you're ready to deal with it. But when we go before God, um, we can really center ourselves. One thing I learned in a period when uh, my wife had uh, a serious illness and I had to be the support on that was I couldn't fix it. And with our kids, a lot of times we can't fix it. But the thing that we need to be able to do is humble ourselves enough to say, fixing isn't what we're called to do today. And what I started to do in, during that period of time was make my morning prayer, Lord, show me how to be the best husband for Jane today. Not do, but be, that I might meet her needs specifically in that day. And I think that's the kind of thing that will allow us to continue to be alert with our kids is ask God to show me how to be the best parent. Who needs a touch? Who needs a teaching? Who needs a redirection and all of that kind of business? It makes us into a day-to-day -day deal, which is exciting and also challenging. Well, I think that's uh, the key to the habits of leading your family like Jesus is staying connected to the Lord and constant communication. In the last section, of our program, we're going to talk about getting ready to lead. What do you have to do to prepare yourself from going from this learning experience to really actually bringing it into your life? Amen. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> I will give um, some highlights, what I got from that, <clears throat> just because I've listened to this several times, <laughs> and you haven't. <laughs> um, the hearts, so those daily disciplines that um, we have to practice in order to stay focused on leading like Christ. Um, started by saying that uh, habits are not always things we can pick, but things that we can also pick. Huh? When we talk about habits, we are always looking at things that we should pick out of our lives. But the habits that we are things that we can also pick. Um, the key habit here is staying connected with God, staying connected with God, staying connected with the Father, and more specifically, staying connected with the unconditional love of God, unconditional love of God. Um, to stay connected with the unconditional love of God is, first of all, to receive that love, to accept that love, to accept the fact that Jesus loves you, and he loves you unconditionally. And thereafter, you can now abide in that love. Abide in that love. Jesus said, you remain in my love. Abide in my love. It is only then can we love others. We receive, we abide, and then we give it out. Um, staying connected. Um, all the other habits, which I'll mention, like solitude. Solitude. Um, staying or... Uh, Staying away from human contact, being alone, being alone, um, having a time out from all the worries, or not even worries, but the things of this life, and just having a time out and staying with God. Um, practicing silence, silence. I know this is a very difficult thing for most of us. I know people that even when they are studying, reading, the TV is on, the radio is on. Even when I know of a, a friend, a brother, we went on a retreat. In order for him to sleep, there has to be noise. The fan has to be blowing and not just silently, but I said, man, can you sleep with this? He said, I cannot sleep without noise. Silence or quietness is an art that needs to be practiced. Uh, you can sit down in the midst of noise and be silent in your heart and meditating 
on the grace and the mercies of God. Um, talked about praying, praying together, meditating with your children. I like the one he said, you get up in the morning and before anybody leaves, we have the family hug, hug one another and just loving on, on one another, particularly the children, whispering words of encouragement, blessing them, blessing them. Uh, those encouraging words, those are the things that they will remember. Those are the things that they will remember. Forgiveness, giving grace and forgiveness. Um, of course, you can't give forgiveness if you don't have it. So it starts with you being forgiven, receiving the forgiveness of God, knowing that you have been forgiven. Because um, that is a relationship, that is a, that's a bridge to relationship. Uh, knowing that you have been forgiven, and then having been forgiven, you can now give out forgiveness. Because as I always say, the forgiven is the one that forgives. The loved is the one that loves. The gracious is the one that gives grace. Um, and we also should forgive ourselves. Not just receiving the forgiveness of God, but also to forgive ourselves. I mean, as parents, I don't know about you, but I messed up big, you know. So, but we need to forgive ourselves. We don't allow the guilt to be a barrier to our future relationship with our children. Grace. Grace, not law. Grace is something that we have to pass on to our children. We know that um, we ourselves, we are not perfect. We need to pass on that grace to our children. Um, feel as, how do you keep grace amazing? You know, we always sing, amazing grace. How do you keep grace amazing? And I really like that part. You see, there are three ways that we can give grace to our kids, to our children. One, the grace of presence. The grace of presence. As being in the moment with your children. Being there with them in the moment. I was trying, I was struggling on how to, on, I mean, what that really means. I mean, it's being there with them, not just being physically. You no, know, you can be physically there with your children, but you're not there. Right? Being there, but you are, you are not there. Your kids want to play, wants to do something. You are there, you are, you, your mind is wandering all over the world. The kids needs to be, needs you to be there with them in the moment. The grace of presence. And that's what God does with us. See, he's always with us. He says he will never leave us nor forsake us. He that watches over that neither sleeps nor slumber is always there with you. So we need to practice that with our children, the grace of presence. Secondly, the grace of acceptance. The grace of acceptance. Not only do we accept ourselves and who we are, but we need to also to accept our children, accept, accept them. Um, first of all, unconditional love is loving your kids no matter what. You don't give them conditions. Unless you do this before I love you, then that, that is no longer unconditional love. So, Accept them for who they are and also accept yourself for who you are. There's always something you can reach together with them. You know, they will not, not always do what you want them to do and then you will not always give them what they want. So there is always a place that you can reach with them. Accept them for who they are and then accept yourself for who you are. The grace of community, the grace of community, making the moment into something special, making the moment into something special for your children, for your kids, making it worthwhile, worth your while. Um, forgiveness, we've already talked about that. Um, they mentioned uh, apologizing to your children, whoa. It takes, it takes grace, it takes, it takes humility to do that. Some of us, the most difficult thing that we can do is to apologize. Um, that is that self-conceitedness, pride, uh, ego picks up, and we don't want to apologize. Um, 
apologizing to our kids, asking for forgiveness. And I like what Phil said. Phil says, when we forgive, when we give forgiveness and grace to our kids, and we humble ourselves before our kids, that we allow them to fail and then be willing to report. I think that was really wise. We allow them to fail and then be willing to report instead of hiding. You wonder why our kids will not tell us what's going on in their lives? Because when they tell us, hell is going to break loose. Yes, for some of us. Um, I know I used to do that, but thank God for his grace. So when we give grace and forgiveness to our children, we allow them to fail and then be willing to report their failures instead of hiding. It starts with forgiving ourselves and be able to forgive others. Um, what was the last thing? Fixing. Ooh, that's a big one. Um, some of us are very good at fixing. We want to fix everything around us. We fix the behaviors of our spouses as though that is um, some assignment that God has given to us. We fix our spouses. We fix the pastor. We fix everything around us. <laughs> fix the house. Fix furniture. And fix our kids. And sometimes we really have to ask God and know that that is not our work. You can't even fix yourself to start with. It's only God who can fix us. Sometimes we just have to pray and ask, Lord, show me. Show me. Just show me how to be rather than how to do. Just to be. To be a good father. To be uh, a good husband. To be a good wife. To be a good, a, good, a good mother. Sometimes it just takes being, not doing. Okay, I, I, I think that is a highlight of what I got from that, having listened to it like end times. <laughs> so, um, comments, if you don't have any comment, then we dismiss and go, no, no, no. But seriously, there is something that we discussed last week, last Wednesday, that I did some research, and I want to share it with us. Um, punishment as opposed to discipline. Punishment as opposed to discipline. But if you have any comments on today's uh, um, talk or topic or the habits, let's quickly talk about that. Then I just introduce this uh, for us to think about. Maybe um, God gives us the grace we might expound on this um, with the permission pastor. So, comments, questions, Reflections, what you took away from uh, today's uh, teaching or to topic, rather. The habits. Staying connected with God and all the other habits just reinforce that. Jesus modeled it for us. Jesus modeled it for us. He would many a times go to his solitary place to pray. Anytime he had a big assignment, he will leave his disciples and go to a solitary place. All right. No questions? No comments? Everybody's smiling at me. Say something, guys. All right. Do you want me to talk about the discipline and punishment? We had very interesting discussion last week. Um, what we took out from the video clip was that punishment does not work. Punishing our kids does not work. And you know, I had to go to the dictionary to get the meaning or the definition of punishment as opposed to discipline. Here is what um, my dictionary says, punishment is to make someone suffer for a crime or bad behavior, to impose a penalty 
on a fault, offense, or violation to inflict pain, penalty, in retribution or retaliation, that's punishment. To inflict penalty in retribution, an eye for an eye, or retaliation, that's punishment. This is what the, uh, the dictionary says um, discipline means. Discipline means training to correct mold or perfect the mental faculties or moral character. Discipline. Training to correct or to mold or perfect the mental faculties or moral character. You know, I checked my Bible Never saw a place that says, fathers, punish your children. Never saw it. I don't know if anybody sees it, has seen it. It says, Lord, discipline them, right? It didn't say punish them. <laughs> I haven't seen it. But I did some uh, research, and I'm going to just quickly go through that. That is scriptures that talks about disciplining children. And I started from the Old Testament. I started from the Old Testament. And most of them were in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs. Proverbs, Proverbs 10, 13, uh, 12, or 13, 24. Let me just read. <laughs> um, 13, 24. 22, 15, 23, 13, and 14. Let me just read Proverbs. Okay, which, which one is that? 13, 24. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Disciplines him promptly. Um, can you go to 22, 15? Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it Far from him, the rod. Um, 23, that one is frightening. 23, 13 and 14. 23, Proverbs 23, 13 and 14. Do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. 14, <laughs> 14. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. <laughs> Frightening. He likes that. Beating. Uh, Proverbs 29:15. <laughs> the rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother, and if I may add, to his dad also. So the nature and severity of this punishment, the instrument to apply the discipline in the Old Testament was what? The rod. The rod. And then the nature and severity of this punishment, Proverbs 20, 30. Proverbs 20, 30. Let's see the nature and the severity of this punishment. I call this punishment now, and we will see why it is so. Blows that hurt. <laughs> These are frightening verses. Blows that hurt, cleanse away evil, as do stripes, the inner depths, of the heart blows. Please don't <laughs> punch your children. Um, 15 Proverbs 15 10. Proverbs 15 10. Harsh discipline is for him who forsakes the way, and he who hates correction will die. Um, 17 10. 17 10. Proverbs 17 10. Rebuke is more effective for a wise man than a hundred blows on the fool. Proverbs 19, 18, and 25. Proverbs 19, 18, and 25. <laughs> Wonderful scriptures. Chasten your son while there is hope, and do not set your heart on his destruction. 25. 25. Strike a scoffer 
and the simple will become wary, rebuke one who has understanding, and he will discern knowledge. Okay. I have the wonderful Bible. Um, has very good commentary. In fact, I will recommend this for Bible students. Uh, permit me to read um, from a place here because I really need to give you the context, a context for this, for this punishment, for these blows and 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 the and the uh, and the awards. So that you will not say, whoa, this is the Bible, I'm going to do it. No, 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 no. We, we need to know the context that Solomon, because this is from Solomon. You, you remember Solomon? Yes. yes. <laughs> you remember Solomon? Yes. Uh, you know his background, where he came from, the family setting. Now, so, and the title here, this is a commentary on don't withhold discipline from a youth. If you beat him with a rod, he will not die. Strike him with a rod, and you will rescue his life from shoal or from death. And he titled this Criminal Behavior. Criminal Behavior. And the principle here is that to deal effectively with criminal behavior, we are to support our judicial system and various forms of punishment. Throughout the book of Proverbs, fathers, particularly are admonished to discipline their sons severely for various behaviors that violate the laws of God. And the main instrument for applying this discipline was the rod. For example, Solomon wrote, wisdom is found on the lips of the, of the discerning, but the rod is for the back of the son who lacks sense. Other proverbs indicate the nature and severity of this punishment. For example, lashes and wounds Watch away or purge away evil, and beatings cleanse the innermost parts. To understand why this punishment was so severe, we need to understand the Old Testament context. First, the Hebrew word na generally refers not to a child, but to a youth or a young man. The behavior described in Proverbs indicates that Solomon most often addressed a young adult son who was involved in serious criminal behavior. In other words, all of those, all of those instructions and advice were for young adults who were involved in serious criminal behavior. The youth may have joined a band of robbers and murderers and this is in Proverbs 1, 10 to 19. He was also involved in flagrant immorality. And as a married man, he was exhorted not to be sexually involved with a forbidden woman. And this is 5.20. In addition, he, may, he was also guilty of assaulting his father and throwing his mother out of the house. Proverbs 19.26. All of this behavior were and still are serious crimes against humanity and violate several of the Ten Commandments. In Israel, a court system was set up to determine the penalty for these crimes. And this is in Deuteronomy 25, 1 to 3. But a father, in fact, it involved even stoning, rod and stoning, death. But the father had the primary responsibility for dealing with these criminal acts, thus effectively making him an arm of the government, Old Testament. The rod, then, under the Old Testament, was used as a means of disciplining very wicked behavior. The ultimate form of punishment, of course, was stoning. And this is in Leviticus 24, 13 to 14. In other words, the rod was a form of punishment short of death. And this is why Solomon wrote the Proverbs 23, 13 to 14. These forms of punishment were still used in Judaism in the beginning of the New Testament era, particularly for dealing with what the Jews believed to be blasphemy. 
Thus, Stephen was stoned to death and Paul was beaten three times. Though the New Testament does not prescribe penalties for serious crimes, the principle from the Old Testament still stands. God has established governments to apply punishment, including the death penalty to those who commit horrendous acts. The responsibility is no longer that of the parent. Rather, we are to do all we can to nurture our children so that they will grow up following God's ways. And then I looked at the New Testament for a direct, a direct injunction on how to deal with our children, how to deal with our children. Apart from um, Hebrews that says that we should discipline our children, that if we love them, we should discipline them. If we don't discipline them, if we don't correct them, then it means that they are not really our sons. They are bastards. But in First, first, first Thessalonians, First Thessalonians, that is before James, before Hebrews. Oh, okay. First Thessalonians chapter two, sorry. First Thessalonians chapter two, verse seven. Let's see what that says, because this, this gives us a direct injunction on how to deal with our children, on how to lead our children. Paul says, writing to the Corinthian, I mean to, to, the, to the church in Thessalonica, he says, but we were gentle among you, just as nursing mothers cherishes, uh, a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Gentle among you, just as a nursing mother would cherish her children. Then 10 to 12, please. 10 to 12. Same, same chapter. Okay. You are witnesses, Paul says, and God also. How devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believes. Continue. 11. As you know, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his children. 12. That you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. The key words there, gentle. Gentle with them. And then we model for them, because they say, what you see or what you do is what you get. So we model for them. They say devoutly, say we behaved devoutly, uprightly, and blamelessly. And then after that, you can now begin to exhort, encourage, and to implore. And I looked in my dictionary for those words because, you know, English is not of mother tongue. So exhort, this is what it means to exhort. To exhort means to urge, to admonish one to pursue some course of conduct. To urge, to admonish one to pursue some course of conduct. To encourage means to, to stimulate to, to the discharge of the ordinary duties of life. To stimulate to the discharge of the ordinary duties of life. And then to implore means to charge, to make a very serious emotional request. That is the New Testament. That's the New Testament on how we are to relate with our children. The Old Testament was the rod. So, is that something that we can, it's already 8.30. Comment? Some homework? <laughs> All right, so um, I, thought, I thought I should share this with us because um, you, know, the, you know, the discussion we had last week was very, very interesting. And, um, Yes, we, 
you know, we were doing as we were taught, as we were shown by our, by our own parents. And of course, you cannot give out what you don't have. Um, so I felt I should bring this to the attention of the body. Any questions? Any comments? Yes. Okay, sir. Following the Old Testament, yes. that said, that word was related to to young adults. I don't think even in today's world uh, we will apply that just because they went to that extreme. I'm sure changes have taken place generally uh, that uses a different method. Even if the young adult killed another person, uh, in most times they are counseled. Uh, they don't put them in a room and uh, give them a beating because uh, the word said so. Uh, but initially, when when that discussion was brought, uh, the definition in application was understood. Uh, to be what it is, punishment and discipline. We interchanged those words. Uh, I'm sure when you ask the question, how many people punish, or uh, I'm sure uh, that question also related to discipline than punish, uh, because uh, punishment, all of us know, is uh, really to hurt, to make somebody feel something. But um, I'm sure uh, we can all agree that uh, you know you, you don't want to kill a human being, even a dog. And therefore, no matter what happens, you don't want to be an extremist. Uh, but punishment or discipline is there for a reason. And uh, in whatever form discipline takes, uh, without discipline, I'm sure a whole lot of knots will be unscrewed um, without discipline. So if we're going to use the word discipline, we have to accept that you know, uh, discipline is necessary. Yeah, I agree with you. Discipline is necessary. Uh, punishment is for criminal behavior. OK. All right, I think um, time is up, and then we will close today. And, uh, we thank God for his mercies and goodness. Shall we share the grace in fellowship? The grace, the grace of our of Lord, Lord Jesus Christ, the love, the love of God, and the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forever. Surely, your goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives, and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Thank you,